This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives. My granddaddy used to say the best cure for idle hands was to build something. In today's day and age, everything's done with a click, a swipe, or a tap of your finger. Put away the screens. Put your hands to work with a case knife. Well, you are listening to Shaun of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Shaun Beatrick. And man, we have a wonderful show ready for you here tonight, coming to you live via the podcast, airwaves, and radio waves all over this fine nation. Well, that beautiful girl you see on the stage behind me tonight here, fixing to play for you, is Martha Spencer, everybody. Martha Spencer.
going to read you a little bit of our mail this evening, a little bit of our mail sent to us from listeners all over the country who had a little better to do than to tune in to the air, for the radio or the podcast airwaves and hear what we were doing, or our listeners who are located in nursing home wheelchairs who are pushed too far from the dial and can't reach it. We'd rather be listening to something else right about now. Our first letter tonight comes from Jim Stellerman, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Sean, my wife, and I were visiting her parents in the late 1970s. This is approximately 40 years ago. Now, we both grew up poor. We were working hard to move up the curve. At that time, we were probably in the lower middle income class. We stopped by a grocery store in an impoverished area of the city, an area where racism and oppression had left most of the people devoid of opportunities. Most people in this area were, were low income. While walking down an aisle at the grocery store, I discovered a $5 bill laying on the floor for the taking. My wife and I were the only people in the aisle, and I thought about pocketing this money and considering it a good trip to the grocery store. But something told me not to do this. Something told me not to keep the $5, but to give it to the store manager and hope it could be returned to its rightful owner. So I gave the $5 to the manager. I explained that I found it in the aisle, and after checking out, while heading for the door, we heard footsteps behind us and somebody yelling. It was the store manager and a a little boy with him. The child had tears in his eyes and explained that this was his $5. His mother had given it to him. It was the last bit of money they had to go to the store and buy bread and milk. So, Sean, I'm not sure... The young boy's guardian angel was looking out for him or not, or if my guardian angel was looking out for me. But he was able to buy some groceries, which provided his family with a little bit of relief for a brief period of time. I have had my soul nourished for this, Sean, for a lifetime, for $5 found in a grocery store aisle. Dear Jim, from everybody here tonight, thank you for sharing that. Bill Anderson, Marathon, Florida. Merry Christmas to you, Sean, and everybody in your audience. I myself have tried to get to your show a few times before, but it never works out because of health reasons. So I'm happy to listen until then via the radio. Merry Christmas also to my wife, Trudy, of 37 years. (laughs) Trudy is the love of my whole life. I love her. I love her so much. Sawyer Fishman, Hayes, Kansas. Sean, I have a request. I almost didn't send this to you, but I figured you're the kind of guy who might actually do it. How about singing a little bit of my favorite hymn? It's entitled, In the Bleak Midwinter. You might even know it. Nobody ever sings this anymore during Christmas time. I guess it's kind of old. I've heard you sing on your show a few times, so here's hoping. I'll be listening. Do what you do, Sean. Your friend, Sawyer. Well, Sawyer, I guess, uh, I guess I'm squirrely enough just to, to give this a shot. I have sang this song before. <clears throat> Although, uh, you might want to cover your ears when I do it because, because uh, I hadn't sang it in a long time. Uh, but here we go. Uh, in the Bleak Midwinter, I was first published in Scribner's Monthly magazine, January 18. 72. 
Winds bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow. Snow on snow on snow In the bleak midwinter Long ago Our God heaven can't hold him No earth sustain Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus. Christ. Laura from Slap Out, Alabama writes, Sean, just wanted to tell you that I like your stories about the South. Most of these are places where I've grown up myself. I've grown up in the South. Have you ever written about anything in Slap Out, Alabama? My great-great-grandfather, Sanford Oscar Peoples, had a store in town a long, long time ago. And when customers would ask for something that he didn't have, he would always say, Well, I'm just slap out of that today. And I guess the term just stuck. Hence, the name Slap Out Alabama. You might also try to search for Deetsville. Just thought I'd share this. By the way, my name, the son, my son's middle name is Sanford. Blair Trapper in Hoover, Alabama. My wife and I ate Thanksgiving breakfast at our local Cracker Barrel and got to talking with our waitress, Martha. That was her name. She's raising grandkids because her daughter is on drugs. The oldest grandkid is special needs with an IQ of 64, and Martha had been off work for six weeks due to knee surgery and sick children. I was about to give her a $20 tip for our $25 meal when I realized that this was not enough to help her after six weeks off. I thought about, I thought about the right thing. And my wife slipped a $100 bill in her hand while we chatted. And when we finished speaking, Martha glanced at the bill. She teared up. And she said, thank you. I need to put that in the vault. And she tucked it into her bra. <laughs> Dear Blair, thank you for that story. And dear Martha, I hope somehow you listen to this because I believe you are a shining example in this world. Don Jackson, Louisiana. Thank you, Sean. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Your stuff has been something I've enjoyed so much over the past two years, and I've shared it with friends and family. It's wonderful to have a good old Southern boy just like me saying some of the things that I might say. Thanks again, and go G-E-A-U-X, Tigers, and Roll Tide. God bless you. God bless you too, Don Jackson. Sherry Pretty, 
Wilsonville, Tennessee. Hi, Sean. I'm just writing to wish my son a Merry Christmas. He was in California with his family this year. So, so far away from me. He's there for work. And he's falling in love with it there. And that kind of bothers me. Because we miss him so bad at home. And I wish he'd just come back and hate California. So, if you could, please pray that he grows to hate that state so bad that he has to move. Because Christmas this year is going to be really hard without him. It's going to be really hard without his lovely wife, too. It's going to be double hard without my grandbabies. Jason is his name. Please tell him on your show, because he's the one who introduced me to your show. Uh, We here in Wilsonville are keeping our fireplace stoked for him in case he decides to take a last flight out of California to get back in time for the holidays. Love, Jason's mother. Dear Jason, if you're out there listening, I hope you heard that. And here's to your family. Here's to all families that are far away from each other for the holidays. And here's to people who miss out. Here's to people who who are yearning for the ones who left us long ago. Here's what I want to say to them. God bless us, everyone. And that's letters from our listeners. We're going to have another tune here from Martha Spencer, everybody. Martha Spencer. Oh, no. 
December came kind of untriumphantly this year, kind of untriumphantly. If you, if you weren't paying attention, you might have missed it. Just kind of slipped in the back door and, and made the whole world into December, even though it still looks like it might be April. In this part of the world, our temperatures are 74 degrees, and the, the humidity yesterday was 98.9 humidity. I am from my father's bloodline, meaning that when I leave the house with humidity that is over 98.9, I look like I have licked a light socket. My hair does strange and unnatural things. It gets big. It gets tall. It starts to to form its own ecosystem above it. I was walking along, and I caught a, a glimpse of my own reflection in a plate glass window while I was shopping. My hair was just so big. Like I just stuck a knife in a power receptacle. I, I, I felt like I was representing my family well because these are the genes that have been passed down to me. My mother used to say I looked like I was riding a chicken across the backyard. Because <laughs> I have long skinny legs that are almost, almost triple jointed, just like my father did. It's just the way we are. But during December, you can look on the TV and you can see advertisements for all sorts of sorts of products that are being sold to you by supermodels and swimsuit models and underwear models, male and female. They're selling things like underwear and fancy designer fragrances with three-letter names like you or who or boo. Yes, these fragrances are sold by people who are barely wearing enough to cover a plate of linguine. And they're built like the perfect human specimen. And they will actually convince average people like me and my wife to go out and buy some of their products. Because, by God, a life of average mediocrity is not something that we strive for necessarily. My wife went out and bought me a pair of underpants last year that she'd seen on television. And on Christmas morning, I opened up and I looked at them and I said, What are these? She said, well, I just thought, you know, you needed, needed a few pairs. She said, I saw them on television. I tried them on. I went and I looked in the full-length bottom mirror. I looked like a frog standing upright. <laughs> Big two eyes, little, little unproportionate. Yes, it's not a confidence builder. But that's not what December's about anyway. That's not what December's about. No matter what you've heard, or no matter which part of the country you are from and you have your own cultural traditions, I understand that. And I respect that. 
But down here in this part of the world where you are currently, this month is about one thing and one thing only. It's about families gathering in a big, big room, the hearth of their home. It's about the high priest of the house with his white hair holding the remote control and shouting four-letter words at his favorite college football team. (laughs) Yes, this is our sacrament. This is the sacrament of my people. We shout at the television screen because it is college football season and the SEC championship is the height of our calendar. People get very, very heated about this. I was out and out pumping gas a few days ago, and there was a man on the other side of the pump from me, a, a Georgia Bulldog fan. He wore a Georgia Bulldog T-shirt. He looked at my crimson tide Alabama T-shirt, and he said, "Alabama sucks, man." And he started laughing. Well, it did inflame me a little bit. It inflamed me, and so I, I uttered the only four-letter words my my mother and father would allow me to say. The only four-letter words. Roll Tide. (laughs) Yes, sir. This is all you can say as a Southern Baptist in this kind of situation. Because anything else would would be what we like to refer to as ruining your witness. Man laughed and he said, Oh, I'm only kidding. Of course, I know Alabama don't suck, but I sure do hope they will on the night of the SEC championship. I went to the uh, supermarket thereafter, and there were people that were watching college football. It was a Saturday on their phones. They were looking at their phones and they were, they were shouting at their phones. There were people who were wearing all sorts of different kinds of fan memorabilia. They were wearing Georgia Bulldog shirts, Auburn War Eagle t-shirts, and Alabama t-shirts. And there was a man who was an Auburn fan looking at his phone, and he looked at that phone and he said, take that, Alabama. There was a little short old woman in front of me with frilly white hair and a string of pearls around her neck and an oversized Alabama crimson tied jersey on. She said, would you mind watching this cart for me, young man? I'm going to go beat that man senseless. Yes, this is our, our moment to shine when all, all the South gets together and they learn how to talk trash with each other. Even your minister will talk trash to you because this is December and this is just how we remind each other that life itself is really just one big battle. I was walking into a grocery store a few days ago and I saw this woman, she was standing out front and she was ringing a bell, ringing a bell. She had that little hand bell just going back and forth, back and forth. She was a little old woman. She had a little Santa hat on. And she was wearing a red apron standing in front of a bucket. She was raising money for the Salvation Army. And I saw her drop that bell. And she bent down to pick up that bell. But she was beat to it by a man who was walking out of the store with full, full hands of, of grocery bags. He picked up that bell for her, handed it to her, and she thanked him for it, and she straightened her steel-rimmed glasses. And she said, now how about giving me a little bit of money? 
A man reached into his wallet and he put in a few bucks. She smiled at him, wished him a Merry Christmas. I walked toward her and I, I too, picked up my, my wallet and I threw in a few bucks. She said, oh, is that all you're going to give? <laughs> so I threw in a few more dollars because she deserves it because ringing a bell is not easy. Ringing a bell is, is hard work. It really is. It's a lot harder than maybe you think if you've never done it. I myself rung a bell when I was 19 years old. I was a gangly 19-year-old Southern Baptist. Brother James had a few volunteers for a church program, which was meant to raise money for children with cancer, children who, who were in the cancer ward and their families were up against the ropes because of all the money they'd been paying and how they'd had to quit their jobs. And this program was designed to raise a little bit of money to buy them gifts for Christmas morning so that they had just as much as normal kids have in their, in their family living rooms. I believed in this program, and I was given a blue bucket on a stand with a chain, and I was given a Santa Claus hat and a dinging bell, and I was set up in front of a Winn-Dixie supermarket. I thought it was going to be very easy. I sat up that day, 19 years old, gangly Southern Baptist man looking like a man riding a chicken across the front yard, (laughs) and I danged my bell back and forth, back and forth. And to my surprise... People walked by me without even paying attention to me at all. They didn't even look me in the eye. They just kind of walked on by. I decided that these people needed a little bit of coaxing, and so I started smiling at them when they walked by. Smiling at them. I dinged my bell a little bit harder whenever they came around. But they just walked on by me. I mean, every now and then, someone would reach in their, their pocket, and they'd hand me a few. Sometimes they'd, they'd, they'd wink at me. And every now and then, but most of the time, they just kind of pretend I didn't exist. Now, this got me very disheartened. I was, I was sad about it. Went to Brother James that evening, and I dumped over my bucket of money. It was a pile of quarters and a few crinkled up dollar bills on his desk. We counted it together. I had barely raised $9 for the cause. I felt terrible about myself. Terrible. Brother James said, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He said, look, I know it's easy to, to kind of get mad at the people who don't give, but, you know, mankind is really a good, good race. And people are good. He said, they're just busy, that's all. During Christmas time, people get busy. You can't blame them for that. Well, I did feel bad about it. I went to my Uncle John about it. Old Uncle John, he knew just about everything. He was sitting on his porch with Brother Dale, his, his, the Methodist minister. Brother Dale was a big man with a hunter's orange shirt on and camouflage suspenders. And he was whittling something out of a pine stick. And so was my Uncle John. And they were drinking beer. Because Methodists can drink beer. <laughs> my mother always used to say, a Methodist is somebody who is put on this earth to pull you out of the gutter. You see, that's not how Southern Baptists approach life. We are, we are put here to save you. That's what we think. And then we pass you on to the Presbyterians who are put on this earth to educate you. And then they will pass you on to the Episcopals who are meant to introduce you to high society and Jack Daniels. <laughs> and then you will find yourself one day in the gutter and along comes the Methodist to pull you back out of that gutter. <laughs> 
Brother Dale was sitting on that porch. They were talking. Old men, they talk and they tell stories together. That's what they do. This porch was a plywood porch built on the front of my Uncle John's RV. And it was lopsided a little bit. They take sips every now and then and they talk about things from days gone by and they tell jokes among one another and they talk about how much culture had changed, how much music had changed, how much entertainment had changed. My Uncle John said, you ever say things that you don't mean to say? You know, you get older and things just kind of slip out your mind. Brother Dave said, oh yeah, all the time. Just the other day I was, I was at a restaurant eating breakfast with a few Methodist men and this waitress came up. And I meant to say, can I have some more eggs? But really what I said is, darling, you're so beautiful. My Uncle John said, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Just a few mornings ago, my wife was cooking me breakfast, and she brought my coffee out. She set it down in front of me, and I meant to say, pass the sugar, please, dear. And what I accidentally said was, you've ruined my life, you miserable woman. sipped their sweaty cans on that porch and they saw me coming up. Uncle John said, hey, what can I do you for? I sat down and I just sat there for a little bit with him, looking out. He said, something on your mind? I said, yeah, yeah, something's on my mind. I said, I stood out front of a Winn-Dixie yesterday and I rang a bell to raise money for kids with cancer and I couldn't raise a single any more than nine dollars he said oh hmm. I said but, but, but Uncle John people passed me right and left there must have been 400 people passed me I mean if every single person would have put in a dollar why I'd have raised a whole slew of money he said yeah 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 I understand mm, mm. and then they got real silent you see that's what men do who are raised in an evangelical tradition when they don't know the answer to something They'll get real silent, and they'll start going like this. Mm. Mm. I once worked with a music minister who could listen to an entire sermon and go, mm. Mm. I asked him once, I said, what's that mean? He said, it just tells the pastor that I'm listening, and that if he doesn't hurry this thing up, I'm about to wet my pants. <laughs> Uncle John and Brother Dale listen, they listen to talk. And Uncle John looked at me, and with wise eyes that were glazed with the years of, of age, he said, will you reach into that cooler and get me another beer? <laughs> I handed him a beer. He cracked it open. He said, I want you to listen to me. Dale, how long have I known you? Dale said, oh, I don't know. Long time, 43 years maybe. He said, yeah, about that. He said, I want you to know, Sean. Dale and I used to be in a country western band a long time ago, long time ago. You remember that, Dale? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Your uncle can't play fiddle worth a cuss. <laughs> uncle John said, you know, we called ourselves the Ramblin' Peanuts. The Ramblin' Peanuts. Ain't that a name? Well, we'd get together and we'd play at all sorts of different places, you know, little feed store openings and, and shoe store clearances. We'd play in front of, in front of restaurants. We played at a cafe once. We even saved up enough money to buy an amplifier. But you know, nobody ever paid us to play. We only played for tips. We had this large Duke's mayonnaise jar that sat out in front of the band and people would toss in money if they liked our music. But we never earned more than a few bucks at a time. 
He said, because we couldn't get nobody to listen to us. He said, I, I, I like to die about it. I felt terrible. I felt like I wasn't a good musician, but I'm a pretty good musician. Ain't I a good musician, Dale? And Dale said, hmm. <laughs> My Uncle John said, but then something happened. Leo, our upright bass player, had an idea. He said, what if we change the band's name? Everybody was in favor of it. We changed the band's name. We showed up to our next gig, Sean. We set up right in front of this little restaurant where people were, were hanging out. There was a bar in the corner. The name of our band was written on a cardboard sign painted in acrylic paint. You know what the name of our band was? I said, what? He said, free beer. I said, that was the name of your band, Free Beer? Oh, yeah, Free Beer was the name of our band. People saw that sign, the most glorious two words in the English language, Free Beer. And they'd come out of the woodwork, and they'd come up, and they'd look at that sign, and initially it was just about the name of the band that attracted them, and then they started listening a little while. And the more they listened, the more they'd start tapping their foot, and they'd clap their hands just a little bit. And then they'd reach into their wallet and they'd throw a tip in the jar because once you make eye contact with somebody long enough, they got to throw a little money. Huh, I said. Well, I don't know how that helps me for a church program, I told him. Uh, The next day, I did take some of his advice. Uh, There was something about the power of music. I brought my buddy Trey with me. Trey plays the guitar. We set up that morning. I rang the bell, just back and forth, ringing that thing bell. People walked on by me, and they were actually stopping every now and then. They'd, they'd reach into their pocket, and they'd throw a few dollars in or something. And it was a good start to the day. But after four hours, I realized that Trey only knew four songs. <laughs> he knew Fire and Rain by James Taylor, Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett, Felice Navidad, and he knew jive talking by the Bee Gees. I said, Trey, don't you know any other music? And then he would launch into jive talking. At the end of the day, we counted the money. I'd only earned $7 because people can only stand so much of the Bee Gees. <laughs> Trey said, hey, I don't mind coming back tomorrow if you want. I'll come and help you all day long if you need. I said, thanks. I'll have my secretary call you. Next day, I got my friend, Tricia, to come join me. She knew all sorts of songs. She grew up singing in the church. She was about six foot four with broad shoulders, so there was an intimidation factor being used there. She wore a Santa hat, and she twirled, and she sang at people who walked by. She She was just loud, animated, and outspoken, and if she didn't know the words to a particular song, she made them up because that's what drama majors do. She even chased one lady out to her minivan, And she almost got pepper sprayed singing, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. (laughs) At the end of the day, I'd hardly raised 13 bucks. And well, I don't mind telling you, I'd almost given up altogether. I really had. You see, it doesn't take much for man to, to start to lose faith in this world. And so I showed up the next day with nobody but myself. And I brought a stool. I sat down on that stool and I rang that bell, just to ring him. 
I didn't even have much enthusiasm in it. I let myself just kind of get sour inside. I watched people walk by me. Their noses were in the clouds. They could just, they could just walk on by me without saying a word. It was early afternoon. I was still ringing that bell. That blue bucket just swung gently in the breeze, that wind Dixie. And I saw something. From the edge of the parking lot came a rusted Chevette. I knew this car. Had a hatchback. Came running into that parking lot on two wheels. It parked into a parking space, and out from that car jumped my Uncle John and Brother Dale, the Methodist minister. And that car, when they got out of the car, these two large men of God, that car rose off the ground another 15 inches. They were wearing colorful, bright, loud, gaudy sweaters and Santa Claus hats. And in through the parking lot came all sorts of other cars, another car, another car, all rusted, all old model vehicles. And out from these vehicles popped men in gaudy sweaters with white hair. And they were carrying tambourines and kazoos and bongos and harmonicas. And they walked toward me like the children of Israel. There must have been about 34 of them. And they gathered in front of the wind dixie Behind me, they formed a mass choir. These were jolly men with red glows to their faces and smiles that went from ear to ear. And they started singing. These men knew every song in the book. These men got to singing and they sang with all their might. They sang, we wish you a Merry Christmas. They sang the 12 days of Christmas and even though they forgot most of the items on the 12 days of Christmas, when it all came to the part where they sang five golden rings, they all knew that together and they would sing it at the tops of their lungs until they started laughing. <laughs> no songs were off limits. They would, they would writhe themselves in laughter and joy and they would giggle at the tops of their, their voices when people walked by. And they would ask for donations openly. And it was so fun, they drew a crowd. They sang Silent Night, and they sounded like a choir of Labradors with chest colds. <laughs> they gathered around, and people reached into their pockets, and they threw money into my little bucket, one by one. And when my uncle sang a stunning rendition of Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy, he got... <laughs> Three restraining orders and one marriage proposal. <laughs> At the end of the day, we sat on the sidewalk, me and my uncle. He was beside me, had his arm around my shoulder. Santa Claus hat was still on his head, just a little bit cockeyed. I made 83 bucks that day. 83 bucks. I could hardly believe it. Those kids I knew would be grateful for whatever the church bought with those gifts. My Uncle John said, you think that's enough to buy them Tonka trucks and Barbie dolls and Scrabble games and stuff? I said, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I said, Uncle John, tell me something, though. How did you get all your friends, that many guys together, last minute, to come and do this for me here today? He said, Sean, listen to me. In all my humble years walking this planet, I've learned that men are good. They are. They're good, they're selfless, they're kind-hearted, they're charitable. Even if you can't see it. Even if they hide it. 
And good men will always do what you need them to do if you promise them free beer. Hey, Merry Christmas to everybody here tonight. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich and Ma'am. It's been a bona fide pleasure if I do say so myself. I hope you join us next week and perhaps even the week after that. You ain't got too much going on. That glorious music you heard behind me today was Martha Spencer, a singer, songwriter, mountain musician, and dancer from the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. She grew up in a musical family and learned how to play civil instruments from girlhood. Guitar, fiddle, banjo, bass, dulcimer, and mandolin. In flat foots and clogs, she is something to see. She performs and has recorded with various groups and been involved in several roots music projects you've probably heard of. She's played shows all over the world, the U.S., Australia, the U.K., and Europe, just to name a few. Martha also released a solo album this year. It was included in Rolling Stone Country Magazine and Cowboys and Indians Magazine. Do yourself a favor and check out Martha Spencer at MarthaSpencerMusic.com. And while you're there, take the time to download her new album. You won't regret it. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit Sean of the South Show. There you can find a complete archive section of our shows dating back all the way to the first one, the one you just heard. And while you're there, take the time to drop me a line about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, bar mitzvah announcements, church potluck socials, and anything else you can think of. And I'll do my best to read them over the air for my friends because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, I once got into a fight with a really big guy. He said, I'm going to mop the floor with your face. I said, you'll be sorry. He said, oh yeah, why? I said, because you won't be able to get into the corners very well. Adios.